head collectively as a community, not just in our gatherings here on Sunday nights, but what we do with our Mondays through Fridays. How do we actually live these things out? I don't always know, but I do know the people who do it. And one of those people, one of those persons is in the room tonight. Dr. Nakiba Levy-Armstrong is somebody who has been um, not just on the forefront and leading us in all civil rights work as an attorney, as a law professor, as an advocate. She is somebody that is actually working for the renewal of all of our minds, and she does it in a holy and sacred way. One of my favorite things about Dr. Nakima Levy-Armstrong is that she has the courage to go into heavy things without becoming heavy along the way. And she has the convictions to take on hard things without growing hard along the way. And so I'm so excited that we have her here tonight. Will you please give a warm welcome for Dr. Nakima Levy-Armstrong. Good evening. How are you guys doing tonight? Good. It's wonderful to see you all here. I'm just going to sit my Bible down for a second so I can get organized. So um, it's really an honor to be here with you all. I think the last time that I came here, my baby, who is now two and a half, was just a little infant. So it's been a while, uh, but it's really a blessing to get this invitation to be in community with you all. Thank you so much, Matt, for inviting me to be a part of this experience. So I was really excited when uh, Matt reached out to me and he talked to me about the series that you all are embarking upon. And uh, I asked him what had been covered so far. So it sounds like you all had an introductory um, experience a couple weeks ago. And then last week you spoke about truth. So can, you can I see a show of hands if you were here during last week's service? Okay, great. So for those who had their hands raised, I'd like to hear from you what you took away from the message regarding truth. Can I get a volunteer? Remember, I was a law professor, guys, for 14 years, so you know I'm going to ask some questions, right? So can I see a, a volunteer? We're, you guys were here, right? I, I know I saw some hands raised. Don't be shy. If you guys are too shy to respond, how are you going to have the courage to walk counterculturally in this world, right? So this is the first test, being willing to speak your truth, even when you feel uncomfortable doing so. So we have a volunteer. Let's give him a hand. Uh, it took me just a minute to uh, to reset my brain to last week, and I'm sure that's what everyone else is doing too. Oh, what did he t what did he say? Um, actually, what I specifically remember is while Matt was speaking, I was looking at Heather, going, "Oh my word, I feel like he's speaking right to me." Because just earlier that day, I was actually at my parents' house <coughs> uh, talking to my mom about. Uh, a deceitful thing that she did that I was confronting her on and that I didn't want to be a part of it. And she was spinning it every way she could to justify what she did and say that I'd misunderstood. No, no, no. I, I heard it all and I did not want to be a part of it. And I, integrity to me is a huge thing and I did not want to be challenged in that way. And so, um, yeah. So when Matt was speaking of that, I'm like, wow, this is for me. So 
that's what I remember. Yeah, and, and basically affirming that what I did was right. Yeah. That takes a lot of courage. Can I get another? Yes. Um, I, I think what struck me about the sermon last week was that truth, um, in the metaphor Matt was talking about, truth always um, requires sacrifice, that truth doesn't necessarily lead to life getting better right away, that um, in order to acknowledge truth and like um, confront hard realities, you often have to sacrifice ease. Let's give him a hand as well. Thank you both for sharing your perspectives and helping to jog everybody's memory who was here last week. And there are also some new people here who didn't make it. I think that it's important as you all go through this series to try to reset your brains week after week and think about what you're learning and then take the steps to begin incorporating what you're learning in your day-to-day -day practice. We can't continue as the body of Christ to come to church on Sundays, whether during the day or at night, and hear beautiful messages and powerful sermons, but not necessarily put those things into action, especially when it comes to issues of racial, social, and economic justice. And believe it or not, regardless of how some of us feel on the inside, we have a great deal of power, which is what I'm gonna talk about tonight. Now, I did not know that I had any power Right? And according to society's standards, I shouldn't have power. Having grown up in poverty, being African-American, being a woman, also being descendants of people who were enslaved, I should not have power within this society. And if it were up to many people in this society, I wouldn't have power. They would prefer that I, I sit down, that I'm quiet, that I don't challenge anything. And for a while, I started to feel that that was a part of what I was supposed to do. And it really took me beginning to develop a strong relationship with God for me to understand that my power does not lie in what society says. My power does not lie in whoever's in leadership, whoever's in authority, whoever has the most wealth, the 1%, however we want to categorize it, they don't dictate my power. The media doesn't dictate my power. But my relationship with Christ helps to define, dictate, and manifest the power that I hold. Now, I remember one of the first times that I realized that I had some power. I was actually um, a law professor at St. Thomas at the time. And I had an experience with a coworker. You know, we're good friends now. But at the time, I was in my 20s, and I was one of the youngest members of the law faculty. And I felt very powerless <laughs> in that environment. You know, people were nice to me, but again, I was very young compared to my colleagues and still trying to figure out who I was. And I had only been um, a lawyer for maybe a couple of years at that time. So I was even new to the practice of law as well. But God placed me in that position for a reason. And even though he placed me there, it was not without some form of opposition and distress. So I had a colleague who, for some reason, um, would not necessarily affirm my ideas, you know, as a young woman on the faculty. And sometimes I would feel antagonized. Sometimes I would even leave meetings in tears. 
And I didn't know what to do. I would talk to people in authority within the institution about it. I didn't see any real relief. And then, and I was actually ready to leave the state of Minnesota. I'm like, I cannot tolerate this oppression that I'm feeling. I don't feel like I can be my full self. I don't feel affirmed. I don't feel supported. So I was literally ready to leave the state. And then one day I just felt in my spirit, you need to take this to God. You're looking everywhere else but the person who actually has the solution, right? And so once I got that nudging from the Holy Spirit to take it to God, I remember um, complaining to God about what I was experiencing and really feeling sorry for myself. Like, I worked this hard to get my degree. I moved my family here, and I'm, I, I'm entitled to be treated differently, right? But thankfully, God did not accept my self-pity at the time as being the answer. God actually dropped in my spirit to pray for the person. And I remember being so shocked to hear in my spirit, pray for him. I'm like, what? Like, why would I pray for someone? Like, that's literally what came to my mind. Why would I pray for someone who is mistreating me, making me feel less than? Um, it was just stressing me out. But that's, that w those were the instructions that God gave me. And so literally after I fought through my natural um, inclinations, I got down on my knees and I started to pray for that person. And as I started to pray, my eyes were closed. I could just feel light all around me. And I began to pray that God would touch that person's heart, that God would deliver that person, that God would shift the situation around. And literally within days after that, things began to change. I was literally able to shift into a completely different office. And then I realized that I was letting that person's mindset, whatever they were going through, which may not have had anything to do with me, dictate the way that I functioned, like I was like walking on eggshells, as opposed to enjoying the freedom that I have and that you all have because of the sacrifice that Christ made. All of us should be able to go to work and feel free. It doesn't mean we're always gonna feel comfortable, but in the inside, we need to know that we're free and we need to know that our circumstances do not dictate how God feels about us and what he has in store for us. And once I began to understand that and embody that, literally, I started thinking to myself, well, I'm free. Why am I waiting on this person's approval? Why am I? So literally, I started to do the things that I needed to do. Um, I stopped asking for permission and started apologizing later and started walking in my authority. And literally, the rest is history. You guys witnessed the history unfolding when, when you see me and other people confronting government, confronting power, confronting authority. That was my first test, a test that I didn't even think that I could pass. I didn't think I had the power to pass that test. Who was I to stand up against someone who symbolized authority in that environment? But God showed me that the power that you have is not of this world. You have the power to influence unfolding events of this world but you are not of this world, and the power that you hold is not of this world. And so as God walked me through that process, I began to have an increased level of confidence in God and in his power. I began to understand that all of the stories that we read in the Bible are not just stories for entertainment or to marvel about 
what God did once upon a time or the things that Jesus did once upon a time. But we're to understand that those are examples of the power of God, the supernatural, miracle-working power of God present in our lives today. And that power of God is not constrained to who's in the White House, right? Because I remember when the, the previous elections were happening a few years ago, and everyone was panicking, up in arms, stressed about who was about to be elected, trying to check to see, you know, can I move to a different country? Like, what, what are my options here? Because I don't want to be subjected to this type of leadership. And if you think back to that period of time, most of the people who were panicking and stressed honestly were middle and upper middle class white people. And I think that a lot of that had to do with folks feeling like they had no control over what was happening. Um, it also, from my perspective, it showed who had experienced extreme levels of discomfort and disruption and oppression and who hadn't. Because many black people, many other people of color, we're like, this person just made visible what we've been trying to tell you guys all along about the things that were happening in this country, right? So I said, you know, God allowed this for a reason. He made the invisible visible to those who were not paying attention. And part of why people don't pay attention is if you don't have a connection to what is happening and you are comfortable, you have no reason to be paying attention to what's actually going on. So in that particular situation, that person really began to exemplify some of the darkness that has always been here, right? When you think about you know, how many of us hold the principles of this country near and dear, we do our best to be good American citizens and often that comes at the expense of ignoring or forget about what has happened historically that has shown us what this country is actually capable of. So we have to be careful as people of faith and not too closely identifying with where we live in the institutions we serve and understanding that those institutions and the place that we live, they are not necessarily of the kingdom of God. They are of this world. And so we can put on a different lens and understand we are just visitors here, right? This is just a temporary place. This is our dressing room because heaven is our ultimate home that we are striving to be a part of. And so if we can begin to understand from that perspective, it changes the way that you walk into the world. We began to, in some ways, disassociate from the things that people in the world have told us are important. I mean, look at what Dr. King talked about, the triple giants of what? You know what they are? Extreme, say that? Poverty, militarism, materialism, racism, right? He talked about those giants and that that was a big part of the foundation of the world that we lived in. And many of us to come to those giants because of how we walk in the world, how we've been conditioned to think of ourselves. So we know that we are in a society and part of a culture that has enacted extreme levels of violence and brutality upon some of those who are most vulnerable. 
particularly when you look at Native Americans or American Indians and you look at African Americans and hundreds and hundreds of years of oppression and brutality that have been a part of our laws. These things were legal, guys. Part of our laws, a part of our uh, policies, a part of how resources were budgeted, a part of how our military was used to sustain oppression and abuse. And so what we have to understand is, yes, we live in America, but that is not our true identity if we are saying that we're followers of Christ. And so that means that we're going to have to be willing to tap into the kingdom of God and to learn about the kingdom of God and to tap into the power of the kingdom of God. And I believe that that power is accessible when we are filled with the Holy Spirit of God because the Holy Spirit of God leads and guides us into all truth. Now, I can walk into a room where there are legislators, where there's the governor, where whomever is present, and maybe God has a thing for me to do. I cannot, based on the way that society is structured, based on the way that these laws are structured, just walk in in my own strength and with my own power and expect for anything to change or happen. Why? Because I'm walking into their system and I'm using the same principles that they use to operate to try to impact them. It doesn't work. So I literally have to walk in with the Holy Spirit inside of me and around me to guide me and show me what to do next. Because if it were just up to me and my own strength, I would never do it in a million years. I wouldn't have the courage, I wouldn't have the confidence, and I would be worried about the consequences. But we have Jesus as an example to understand what it means to be led by God the Father, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and to walk in the authority and power of God. I mean, only Jesus could do what? Take fishes and loaves, a couple of them, and feed 5,000 people? How could he have done that through the world system? It, it's simply not possible, right? Think about all the people that Jesus healed. He would speak a word to people. He would lay hands on people. And suddenly, what the medical system couldn't do, Jesus was able to do. How many people did he raise from the dead? Acts that people thought were absolutely impossible. And according to the world system, probably impossible. But according to the power of God, very possible. So we have a living, breathing example of someone who walked on this earth and showed us that we have that same miracle working power on the inside of us, but most of us don't believe it. Why? Because we're watching the news, we're reading all these books, we're doing all these other things that are shaping our perspectives and limiting our beliefs and also limiting our faith. And there's nothing wrong with occasionally watching the news, reading books, and doing the things that we normally do. But we have to recenter our focus and put God at the center of what we do and our belief system. I'll never forget uh, walking, um, going to the legislature um, probably about two years ago. So my baby was just a few months old at the time. And I was really just there sitting in the back um, during a hearing. I didn't have any formal role. And what I saw was an African-American woman by the name of Khalise Houston organizing African-American parents who had lost their children through the foster care system. 
Now these parents had taken off work, they had arranged transportation, they had gone through so much stress to try to get there to the legislature for a committee hearing to allow their voices to be heard. And what I saw was the committee at the time, apparently there were a couple of people of color who were on the committee they, who weren't present, so it was pretty much an all-white committee that was there. And as they were conducting this particular committee hearing, they allowed the people who run the foster care system, administrators, all kinds of people, mostly white folks, to get up there and speak and give their perspectives about the system. And when it was time for these African-American um, parents to have a chance to testify, the head of the committee said, I'm sorry, but we have to be somewhere in 15 minutes, so we're gonna have to shut this hearing down and we'll only allow one person to speak. Now there were about 20 or 30 African-American parents who had made their way. And if you've been to the Capitol, you know how difficult it is to get there. It's not accessible, parking isn't accessible. And these people were filled with anxiety, right? You're going into a room mostly filled with white middle-class people and you're poor and you're black and you've lost your kids to the system and there's nowhere that you can turn. They already had to muster up a great deal of courage and strength, even to be willing to, to show up. But for the committee chair to say, I'm sorry, we're gonna have to close this down early. It was so incredibly offensive to my spirit and to my soul. And I began to pray because I had nothing to do with um, organizing the people, but I saw a manifest injustice happening in front of me. And I said, okay, maybe God placed me here for a reason. So I started to pray like, Lord, what do I do? I'm seeing this happen, nobody's speaking up. These people are, are just being mistreated. And so through prayer, the, the Lord told me, the Spirit of God said, say something. So literally, I'm like, are you sure, Lord? Like, I'm thinking nobody just disrupts the legislative hearing by themselves, completely unplanned, right? But that's what the Spirit told me to do. And so once I knew in my spirit, okay, I had my little baby on my hip, and I walked to the edge of the uh, little uh, banister, it's like a barrier. Um, and I said, excuse me, you know, to the committee chair. This is extremely disrespectful. These parents have traveled here and I essentially became an advocate, a voice on their behalf, speaking to power. I didn't have to be a legislature, a legislator to speak to power. I didn't have to be in a position of authority to speak to power. All I had to do was be a servant of the Most High God and hear the Holy Spirit telling me, you see something, you say something, you do something. You don't sit there and be complicit in what is happening in this situation. Whether you have a baby on your hip or not, get up and do something. And literally, I just felt this surge of confidence like this, this is not acceptable. And again, laid it out of you know, what had happened with the people and how ridiculous it was that they had come here only to be disrespected. Like, we're not gonna tolerate this. And literally, the, the chair kept trying to argue with me. I'm like, I'm not gonna argue with you. This is unacceptable. And so she and the uh, other person got up, the co-chair got up to, to walk out. And the rest of the committee sitting there in shock. They don't know what to do. And so after they walked out, I said, good, I'm glad they're gone. Now, who's willing to stay here and listen to what these people have to say, even if it is off the record? And all of them raised their hands. And they all stayed 
and sat there and let every single parent who wanted to testify speak. And it was extremely powerful because what it did was it, it restored the sense of dignity and humanity for those parents. You know, and it also showed the rest of the committee. This person might be the chair, but they don't dictate your morality. If you see what is happening, one of the committee members should have said something. They're the ones who've been elected, right? I'm just someone who showed up with the baby on my hip, <laughs> seeing what was going on. And so after they all testified, one of the interesting things that I had not seen before was those committee members actually came from behind that barrier in their seats and they started mingling with the African-American parents, following up on parts of their testimony, asking them questions. And God just showed me, see, this is why it's important for you to be willing to listen and for you to be willing to do what I have called you to do. Because sometimes you might be the only person in the room who is willing to step forward and speak with God-given authority and challenge the status quo. Because remember, again, we're not of this world. We're in this world. We're not of this world. That's why it's so important for us to be born again. We are born into a system that's hostile to people who serve Christ. That's just the reality. When you look at the laws, the policies, the practices, the history, it's hostile to people who serve Christ. So why are we expecting any kind of justice? And sometimes we're lulled to sleep by the comfort that we all have. Because again, if you don't have to deal with extreme poverty, you don't know anyone who's in poverty, you don't have to worry about homelessness, you don't have to worry about not having a decent safety net or people around you, it's easy to just block out what people are going through and go on about your lives, come to church on Sunday, hear a good message, and then keep it moving. And that's what most of the Christian church is doing to this day. And I believe that God is saying, if you want change, you be the change. So what does that mean for each of us when we hear about things that are going on? Either we're going to sit back and wait for someone else to stand up. And I would argue if someone else was going to stand up, they would have done it by now. Or we make the decision that this is not going to happen on our watch. You look at what's happening in Minneapolis with homelessness and the lack of affordable housing that is going on. In most places, we see that people are oblivious to these incidences and these issues. And I think for some people, um, when they saw Tent City off of Hiawatha Avenue, that that was the first wake-up call to how serious the crisis of homelessness is within the city. And then for other people more recently, when the Drake fire happened, on Christmas Day, where most of us were enjoying Christmas, right, with our families exchanging gifts, we didn't have to think about our families being in a fire because we were the poor or the working poor or we were homeless and losing every single one of our possessions and having such great uncertainty in part because of a social network that doesn't have the resources to let you stay in an extra bedroom if most of the people that you know are barely making it, they're in an apartment, they're sleeping in their cars. Most of us don't have to worry about that, but that's what 250 adults and children experience on Christmas Day. And thankfully, there were so many people across Minnesota who were generous enough to send resources to help those families. But here's the reality. 
When people sent their resources, they kept it moving. And not really thinking about, well, what's now going to happen now that I've given a check or, you know, made a donation? Are these people going to get into housing? What's going to happen next? Most people weren't engaged after the fact. And so what wound up happening was that there was a small group of African-American women who were volunteers and, and some uh, white allies who decided to actually show up just on their own and start, um, ad started to advocate for those who were in the fire and their families and make sure that they had resources. They started collecting donations in the community and getting supplies for people and trying to advocate against what was happening to people, which is they felt like they were being ignored. And what was interesting about the fact that these women stood up is that the sad part is that they have largely been erased. Their efforts have been erased. Most people don't know about them. And then when they tried to speak up and take on power, power would hold press conferences and try to pretend that they're doing what they're supposed to do. And meanwhile, residents are saying, we don't have answers. We're sleeping on cots. We can't take showers. We're being fed hot dogs. We don't know what, what is going to happen next. And so I'm witnessing all of this, and I'm seeing the people without a voice continue to have their voices not be heard because of the way that the world works, because of who has access to the media, who can call a press conference, and who instantly has credibility because of what they look like and the position that they hold versus who doesn't have credibility, even if they're the ones experiencing the oppression. And so through that process of those women being relentless and constantly taking the stories forward, a shift began to happen. And a community-based organization is actually now responsible for um, doling out those resources to people. And other small community-based organizations have gotten involved. And dozens of people so far have actually been placed in permanent housing. That wouldn't have happened without a small group of people refusing to turn their backs and look the other way and go on about their lives after making a donation. So what does that mean for us as the body of Christ when things happen? We can't afford to look the other way. We can't afford to assume that someone else is going to step up and be responsible. We have to be responsible. We have to put our faith in action. And we have to be willing to stand up and speak up, knowing that there might be discomfort on the inside of us. Knowing that there might be people who don't want to hear what we have to say. Knowing that there might be people who shun us, who disrespect us, who talk about us. But if they did that to Jesus, why would we expect any different treatment as followers of Jesus? So we have to understand that this is what we signed up for. Right to help shine a light on the things that are happening and to be relentless in speaking the truth, to be relentless in claiming our power. Frederick Douglass, who had been born into slavery, became one of the most amazing orators in the history of this nation, had been an advisor to Abraham Lincoln during the time when they were trying to abolish slavery, once said, power concedes nothing without a demand. It never has, and it never will. In 2020, that hasn't changed. We have to be willing to place a demand on systems, on institutions, sometimes on those around us, 
to change the things that are happening that are causing oppression and causing suffering. A lot of times we will look at people who are poor and who are experiencing trauma and we'll just say, oh, those are the less fortunate. Really? Well, if you look biblically, they're not the less fortunate. The Bible says the last shall be first. The world may think that that's not what the kingdom of God says. Those people are going to be treated like royalty in the kingdom because they suffered on earth, especially they followed what Christ asked them to do. God will extend grace and mercy, I believe, anyhow. And those of us who had access to resources, those of us who had access to education, those of us who had access to opportunity will be held to a higher standard. That is what the kingdom is like. And so it's important for us to begin to embody this if we haven't already in 2020. And I know that there are some of you guys who are thinking, I do service. And I, I'm thankful for you if you are willing to roll up your sleeves and do more. Because service, as Dr. King said, equates to greatness. Right? Anybody can serve. And so if you're already doing service, definitely keep doing service. But also ask God, now what can I do? to take my service to you to the next level. And he may give you an idea, he may give you more responsibility, because usually when you're obeying God and you're doing what he wants you to do, your reward might be, you know, good and well, good faithful servant, but it's also gonna be more responsibility because it means that God can trust you with what he's given you and you've been able to multiply it. So let's make sure we don't become stagnant when we're doing a thing and instead, we continue to expand and ask God to enlarge our territory so that we can have an even greater impact than what we've ever expected. So I believe that when we're thinking about this notion of power, that we have to understand all of us have power as servants of God, being made in the image of God. All of us have access to his throne and to his kingdom. We saw Jesus praying, essentially, no matter what was happening. He would go off to a quiet place and pray. He would pray for people because he understood he had direct access to God the Father. And he has made it through his sacrifice so that we all have that same access. So when we get overwhelmed, when we feel there's nothing in our human capacity that we can do to change things, sometimes what we need to do is pray. And then enlist other people to pray as well. Because he said that where two or three are gathered, I'm in your midst. I'm right there. I'm seeing what's going on. And I'm going to shift the dynamics. So if I look at even um, thinking about Abraham Lincoln, for example, and the fact that he was the president who ultimately uh, ended slavery, one of the things that happened before that was that there was a man named John Brown, a white man, who said that God had ordained him to end slavery. And nobody believed him. They thought that this man was crazy. But he enlisted his sons and some other people to actually um, go forward with the rebellion. And they killed a lot of slave owners during that rebellion. And then ultimately, he was executed by the state along with his sons. And he struck terror in the hearts of white slave owners by his action that he said that God inspired him to do. And whether people think that God would inspire someone to do that or not, the reality is if he hadn't done that, 
there's a great likelihood Abraham Lincoln never would have become president. And we don't know if slavery would have been abolished or not, right? But this man was prophetic in what he had to say, and it actually changed the course of history, right? That's how we need to be thinking. How do we become world changers? Not based on what we don't have, but based on what we do have. Jesus Christ, the greatest gift of all. Thank you, and God bless you. I think every time you're here, Nakima, we, uh, beyond learning a little more, we're inspired a little more by the spirit that moves in you. So thank you. Thank you for always being a yes person and always agreeing to be with this community and helping us to see God in bigger ways. So we appreciate and love you. Thank you. One of the things that we do together, the practice that um, we hold together every Sunday night is that of taking communion. Nikema so beautifully talked about the power in the spirit that Jesus left with us. Before he ascended into heaven, he said, and I leave you my spirit to the end of ages. And it's that spirit, as Nikema said, that allows us to see something, say something, and do something. And it ties beautifully with what Matt said last week about truth. We, as people that follow Jesus Christ, are called to testify to the truth. And we do it by naming it, by doing something with it, by being change makers. And the beauty is that we get to do that together and we get to do it with the power of the Holy Spirit working among each of us and collectively in all of us. That's the beauty of being the church in the world today. On the night before Jesus died, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, broken for you. When you eat this, remember me. And he took the cup and he poured wine into the cup and he said, this is my blood shed for you. Drink from this cup, remember me, the new covenant. I've come for everyone. And that's what we do on Sunday nights. We come up during the music, we take the bread and we dip it into the cup. And we'll have gluten-free elements in the middle and regular elements on the side. And come as you feel called. When we dip that bread into the cup, we can remember that the power that is in each of us, the power of the Holy Spirit alive and at work, doing things beyond anything any of us could accomplish on our own. And that is a holy, powerful thing. So together, let's stand and pray the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Our God, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our 
lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom.